What's going on, people? Welcome back to the podcast, The What If Project. I'm still here. <laughs> I wanted to check in with you. I haven't left. Um, I haven't packed away the microphone. Uh, I'm still here, and I thank you that you are still here as well and uh, showing me grace and giving me space that I so desperately need uh, to kind of explore the the depths of my emotions and and my loss. You all know that my father passed away in in March and it's been it's been hard, you know? There's been a lot of up and down feelings and I mentioned this a few weeks ago in a, a short episode I put out, but I've always stuffed my emotions away, you know, because that's what the church taught me to do, especially as a pastor grieve, but grieve quickly, you know, because you've got to advance the kingdom and there's kingdom work to do and the gospel needs to be spread. You know, you, you, you got to grieve now quickly because you're going to celebrate for a long time later, you know, and that was kind of the, the mindset that I've always had. And so whenever I would experience some kind of loss, I would grieve it quick, but then stuff it away and move on with my life. And I felt like it was, this needed to be done differently. I need, I need to change the way that I grieve, really deconstruct my approach uh, to grief, and so I've really tried to give myself some space, and uh, y'all have been very supportive in that, and I I can't thank you enough, Um, really, really, and so many people I've reached out and uh, checked in, and uh, early on people were sending us, you know, DoorDash cards and stuff, and uh, helping us out with different things, and it's all just so, so appreciated, and uh, by me and, and my family, so so thank you. And obviously I stopped the podcast, you know, for a while, and in the midst of that, uh, my friend Leo, uh, Leo Walters Tejera, they run the Conversations official podcast to do some work, some social media stuff for them. Uh, but they reached out to me and said, hey, like in the midst of this, um, this space that you're taking for yourself, if you want to put some stuff out there, I'm happy to do like a podcast takeover. And I'm like, hmm, interesting. Uh, Leo is part of the LGBTQ community. And so immediately I thought to myself, well, this was in, uh, when was this, maybe April? I said, well, Pride is coming for June. I'm going to be doing uh, episodes every other week, probably starting in July or August. So maybe we'll do like bi-weekly episodes where you just come on the show Talk about whatever it is you want to talk about, whatever you want to talk about, you know? And that's not something I would do for just anybody, right? Like, I don't like just anybody uh, on the show. I, I do a lot of reading on a particular person, uh, stalk them on social media for a while, uh, you know, read their books, Google search them, you know, do all the different things. Background check. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I, I, just, I don't just let anybody, I don't just ask anybody to come on the show. And I certainly don't just give anybody the mic and let them just talk about whatever they want to talk about. Um, but Leo, I trust Leo. Uh, Leo's doing incredible work in the world. And uh, this is going to be a three-part series, possibly a four-part. Uh, an episode may drop later, like in the fall, where we kind of do a episode together where I'll ask them some follow-up questions about these three episodes and have like a, a regular interview type thing. Uh, But this is going to be a a three-part series for now where they're going to come on and talk about various topics that they're passionate about. In this first episode, Leo is going to share their story with you 
about uh, the moment and really a couple of moments that really changed their life uh, forever. Leo and I went to the same uh, school, different times, uh, but same school. And the experience there for Leo was not good uh, in in a lot of ways. And they're going to tell you a lot about that uh, in this episode. But man, so, so good. The, The work that Leo is doing in regards to queer theology, uh, interfaith work. Uh, they talk about in the episode about how they've sat side by side, like in a classroom and like learned from people who come from a, a Muslim background, a Jewish background, a Buddhist background, like bridging gaps, right? Because we come from this world, Leo and I both come from this world, many of you, where it's, it's just, it's our way or the highway. And that's it. Like if you don't believe this in this particular way, uh, you're going to hell, right? Like there is no us, there, there is no us together. It's us over here and you over there. And you better believe the right way and get your butt over here uh, so that you can get to heaven when you die as well. That's the world that we come from. But Leo, Leo's breaking down those walls and Leo's making space literally for everybody at the table. Uh, Leo is doing the work of the Christ. Uh, Leo is creating a space where all people are welcome to come and to share. And it's just so good. So Leo's going to share a little bit of their story in this episode and talk to you about kind of how they got from where they were uh, to where they are and some of the work that they're doing. And then next week, uh, they'll go a little bit deeper into it in the following week as as well. So uh, anyway, I'm going to put all of Leo's links in the show notes, a link to their podcast, their website, different things like that. Please go listen. They've taken a little bit of a break from the podcast uh, because they they just finished up school, graduated, had a lot of work to do. And so uh, once I think the summer or the fall hits, they're going to start trying to record some more episodes and things like that. But there's a huge like backlog of things there to listen to. So please go listen to some of that stuff because it is so, so good. And I think you're really going to get uh, a lot from it. Uh, also in the show notes, I'm going to put a link to Patreon if you want to support this show uh, financially. Thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. I, I'm really, really grateful that over the course of these however many months it's been that this podcast has been silent, uh, no one has left. And I, I, <laughs> I know it sounds stupid, but I was genuinely worried. Like if I stopped the podcast, what if people stop giving because that's a, a, a important stream of income for us. Like it literally helps us pay the bills and put food on the table. And I was really nervous about that. And my wife was like, you know what? Like if people stop supporting, if the reason is because, you know, you, you're grieving, she said like, were they really ever supporting at all? And she's like, I know a lot of our Patreon supporters. And she said, I really don't think that anybody's going to do that people stop supporting because of financial reasons, and that happens all the time, and that's fine. Uh, but thank you. Thank you for not throwing in the towel uh, on us and hanging in there with us in this time of grief. It, it really means uh, the world to me. So I'll put the link to that uh, in the show notes and also link to my, my book, Rethinking Everything. And speaking of books, I have a new book coming out, friends, a new book on June 18th, Father's Day. Uh, the book is dedicated to my dad. It's called Emerging from the Rubble, 
and actually wrote it over the course of my dad's uh, battle with cancer. It's stage four colon cancer. And so I wrote it over the course of his, his battle with this, and I finished it uh, about a month after he, he passed away. And really what it does is we look at 30 stories from the Gospel of Matthew, and we look at it through the lens of Matthew's first century readers, listeners, uh, whatever, who were living in the wake of Rome's destruction uh, of their temple. So the, the temple was the center of the Jewish universe. Rome comes in, destroys the temple, destroys the city, massacres the majority of the leaders. These people are left with nothing. They are left literally in the rubble of their broken dream, the rubble of their broken universe. And we read the stories through that lens and we wonder, like, how would they have received these stories? Why did Matthew write these particular stories to these particular people going through these particular sets of circumstances? Like, what was the, what did they get out of this to encourage them, to inspire them, things like that? And then we, we try to get in touch with our own collapsed temples and imploded universes. And we wonder the same way, how can these stories speak to us? in ways that they might have spoken to Matthew's original uh, readers. So it's written very much like a devotional. Uh, like I said, there's 30, uh, there's 30 stories that we look at. And each story is, I don't know, it's anywhere from a couple pages to like eight pages, depending on how much I want to say in a particular thing. And there's uh, different reflection questions at the end to kind of get you thinking about different things. So uh, I'm really excited about it. It's going to be coming out, like I said, Father's Day. It'll be available in paperback on Amazon, also Kindle. It should be on Apple Books. It'll possibly be available on like the Nook if you have Barnes & Noble. I'm not really sure yet, but definitely will be available uh, paperback, Kindle, and 99% sure on Apple Books um, as well. So anyway, those links aren't available yet, but there is a link to it on my website to kind of give a little blurb about it. So I'll include that in the show notes as well. And uh, that's it. That's all I got for now. I think a 10-minute intro is <laughs> it's long enough. But uh, again, thank you from the bottom of my heart, for me, for my family. Uh, thank you so much for hanging in there with us. Thank you for your love, your support, your prayers. Uh, it means the world to us. And uh, all that to say, here's my friend Leo with part one of The Takeover. Enjoy. Oops, just kidding. Forgot something. Uh, I'm back again. Uh, Leo wanted me to let you know that uh, when they recorded this episode, they had a little uh, issue with their equipment. Uh, they, they're they switching recording spaces, so they weren't using their computer. They have a mic, same kind of mic I have, uh, but they couldn't find the adapter to connect it to their phone. Uh, plus, they were battling a cold, I think, and some asthma as well, allergies, all the different things. It, it's It's life. Life is happening. So I told Leo, I was like, Leo, I don't really care. You know, like maybe a month, maybe like a year ago I would have cared, but like this season of life is teaching me to just roll with the punches. And so whatever you got to do to record it, do it. And if you want to wait to record it, wait till another time. It doesn't matter to me, but they did it uh, on their phone and they sent me a video and I just kind of ripped the audio from the video and put it in here. So anyway, they wanted me to let you know that the quality is not uh, the best in the audio. Uh, but you can hear it loud and clear. The message is there. And uh, yes, so now, all that to say, here's my friend Leo <laughs> with part one of the takeover. Enjoy. I've been busy searching for you, yeah. Trying to figure out if it's true, true. Don't think that I've been played by a fool, yeah. This mind don't buy, don't play by the rules I'm gon' make sure that I play my cards right Intuition gave me signs that everything is alright 
Contemplating on my moves, I'm in a fight. Under pressure, feel the walls are moving in, it's getting tight. Getting tight. The shuffle getting real. real. I hope it lives on something good. I'm all in for the kill. kill. Sometimes kill. it's getting kind of scary. I'm here for the thrill. Decisions on top of decisions, like I chose a pill. The bottle getting kind of empty. Temptations made its presence in the air. It's kind of tempting. Shortcuts after question, but it got on my attention. Uh oh, and I forgot the dead I mentioned. Looks like I won the game, made my decision. I listen. Hey friends, how are you? For those of you who don't know me from Glenn's introduction already, I thought I'd take a chance to let you know a little bit about who I am. My name is Leo Walters Tahara. I'm a non-binary person of trans-masculine experience who was assigned female at birth. If you're not queer, that probably seems like a lot of words to say to describe yourself. So I figured I'd give you guys a chance to get to know me a little bit more and kind of figure out what that means. So let's break those down a little bit. First of all, my gender being non-binary means that I don't identify as male or female. And that's something that you'll hear about a little bit more as I tell you my story. I am kind of both and neither and all at the same time. And that's something that I've just really had to come to terms with on my own. And it took me quite some time. But uh, so that's what non-binary means. Trans mask uh, and assigned female at birth means that when I was born, the doctors looked at my anatomy and decided that I was a female and that I was going to act in a feminine way because in America, we kind of connect those things, even though they're not necessarily innately connected. So I was pronounced to be female at birth, but I have decided and enacted a plan with my medical providers that helped me feel a little bit more at home in my own body. So for me, that personally means having a beard, having shorter hair, having a lot of tattoos, um, and being a little bit more muscly than I would be if I was presenting as female. Not that female people can't be muscly because all of these lines are so, so, so subjective. That is why I use the term non-binary, because I'm both, and I'm neither, and I'm all, all at the same time. So that clears up the least interesting part of my story. Now we'll get it on to the more interesting stuff. Part of why Glenn asked me to come on the podcast is that we came from a similar place, right? Glenn and I went to the same alma mater. We came out of similar churches, very similar families, and we both have found ourselves in this sort of post-church deconstruction world, whatever those words mean. Because as I talk a little bit more, you'll find out that I don't think many things go by simple categories. <laughs> but we came from a similar world and we ended up in similar places despite wildly different paths. And so I decided that uh, when Glenn needed a break, I would hop on for him. So on to my actual life story. I was a pastor's kid through and through. I was essentially born into a church nursery and spent most of my life in church from that point on. I grew up with this identity as a pastor's kid, and I took it super seriously. I not only was there every time the doors were open, but I was there to open the doors. I was the poster child for pastor's kids. My brother likes to joke that um, basically like I, I have to be the best at everything. And so I had to be the, the best pastor's kid. And he was always trying to live up to me. But for me, what that meant is that I was incredibly involved in church. If there was Kool-Aid to be drank, I was double fisting it. Let that metaphor carry you where it will. But I really found a source of identity in the world of evangelical Christianity. 
So much so that from the time I was five, I really understood myself as a person who was called to be a pastor. Slightly confusing as a person who was also assigned female at birth in a denomination that doesn't ordain women. But uh, once again, we'll get to that. So from the time I was five, I understood myself as called to be a pastor. I spent all of my teenage years working towards that end. I led Bible studies. I started small groups. I help sort of plant churches um, in different ministries in small town America where I lived. And wherever my family moved, I enacted that sort of same practicality, right? My dad had to move around a lot because of his pastoral role. Uh, the denomination that we're in doesn't have a great structure for taking care of their young pastors. And so we moved about every two years. And so I found myself with this chance to relearn who I was, you know, every essentially two years of my life. And I kept digging into that evangelical Christianity as my identity. When it came time to graduate, I, um, I said, you know what, this is the next step for me. The next step for me is to go to college to be a pastor. And so I started out on that journey in uh, 2005 is when I graduated from high school. And I went and did my first year at a, a local college uh, so that I didn't have to spend quite as much money. And my plan was always to transfer to the school that I ended up getting my undergraduate degree from, which shall remain unnamed, uh, because you'll see more later in the story why, the, why I'm keeping that name under wraps. But so I spent my first year at a local college and my first day of my first year of college, I met someone who was on the soccer team and she was like, you know what, we need a goalie. And I was like, listen, I play goalie. I've played soccer my whole life. I didn't think I was going to get a chance to play in college, but I would love to. And, you know, she said, well, come to practice. And so I went to soccer practice and had a great time. And immediately after soccer practice, my first practice, basically, someone, one of my teammates came up to me and they came out to me and they said, you know, I just, I needed to tell someone, I decided to tell you that I'm gay. And at that point, for me, that was the moment that changed my entire life. It was the shot heard around the world. The bell couldn't be unrang from that moment because in my brain, immediately, I was like, why did this person choose me? And how does this relate to the faith that I was taught growing up in the evangelical American church? And my friend told me that she came out to me because she thought I was gay. And that, my friends, is how the rest of my life started. I didn't know anyone would ever think that about me. I had never considered the possibility of myself being gay. Honestly, I was so steeped in evangelical Christianity that I pretty much thought I was just going to be like a straight celibate female pastor because I just didn't have interest in romantic relationships in the way that I was seeing them. Um, I tried to talk to some like guys to have a relationship and it just, it never felt right and never worked out. And I never felt at home and I didn't know how to explain that. So when this person told me that they thought, uh, they came out to me because they thought I was gay I think my heart might have stopped for a moment because I had to consider why do they think I'm gay? That began what for me would be like the next five year process of coming out. Uh, first, I had to come out to myself. 
And then I had to come out to God. Uh, and then I had to come out to my friends. And then I had to come out to, you know, my teachers and my school community. And then I had to come out to my family. And all of those were very different parts of the succession of coming out because it wasn't a singular act. It was a thing that I had to keep doing and that for a lot, in a lot of ways I've continued to do. Um, I like to joke that I've come out about four times now. First I came out as a lesbian, then I came out as trans, then I came out as non-binary, and then I came out as a pastor. Because at that point in my life, I had pretty much given up on trying to be a part of the church, but here I am restaking my claim. Let's rewind a few minutes though to when I said my friend came out to me because they thought I was gay. I had no idea why they thought I was gay. I had never considered it. It wasn't even an option for me. It wasn't even something that I had thought about and had disproved. It just was so outside of my frame of reference. I had no idea what to do with it. And that was the kind of moment that put me on the path that I find myself on today. But those first few years were incredibly rocky. Um, very quickly, I did come to understand that I was gay. Once I had that language available to me, I began to understand the way I related to different females in a whole different way, right? Because how I felt this towards some females was how different than how I felt to other females. And it didn't make sense to me until I had that missing piece of the puzzle that I didn't have originally. And there was a lot of self-loathing because for a long time before I could ever admit it to God or to anybody else, I knew deep down that I was gay. I didn't know what that meant, and I had not even begun to approach the concept of gender. But I just knew that as far as attraction went, I was attracted to women, undeniably. Uh, part of my life story and journey has been that I've asked, people have actually tried to, to deliver me um, from gay demons three times, and I like to say that it either didn't work at all or it worked so well that I transitioned and now you know I just look like a straight man but um in all honesty I tried everything to be straight because I wasn't going to let anybody say that this was the easy way out there is no amount of stubborn that is that stubborn right there is no one who is stubborn enough to just come out despite the personal safety costs, despite the social stigmas, despite the church reaction, despite potential, you know, estrangement from your families, no one is stubborn enough to just choose that if it was the easy way out. And so I tried everything possible to not be gay. But at the end of the day, I was. Uh, after one of the times that people tried to pray for me so that I would be delivered from this like spirit of homosexuality, I remember going to the mall with my friend to pick up her paycheck. And I was just standing outside her store, just waiting for her to get her check. And all of a sudden, a, a very beautiful woman walked in front of me. And I just, my head kind of followed and I just looked at her as she walked past. And in that instant, I knew there had been no precognition. There had been no thought. I didn't choose to look at that person. I was just attracted to them. And at that moment, I really knew that there was no choice for me. Like this just was part of who I am. And it wasn't a conscious thought that I was having. And that was the moment that I realized win, lose, or draw, and no matter what it meant for my future, that I was gay. And I had to deal with that. And finally, having that understanding in and of myself really helped me to 
come out to people around me who were safe to come out to. Uh, it was not safe to be out at my college that I was at at that point. I was studying pastoral ministry. I was leading worship. I was leading Bible studies, and um, it was not safe to come out for me. I ended up coming out to a few really strategically placed um, administrators and staff members shortly after that experience at the mall. And they were fantastic. Um, they have since resigned from the institution because they, their beliefs and the did not align with the way that the school was treating students, especially queer students. But they stayed for me. And they tenured their resignation the day that I got my transcript. So it was an incredibly powerful thing. But I was subsequently, after all that happened, I was removed from any and all public roles. I was basically scrubbed from the public face of my college, despite the fact that I was the same person that I had been the entire time I was there. And so I really started to wonder, like, is this church thing even for me anymore? I feel the same way about the universe. I feel the same way about who I'm supposed to be in the world, but I don't feel the same way about the place that was supposed to be my home, my spiritual home, the church, right? In an instant when I came out, I was suddenly and violently pushed out from all the communities that I had ever held dear because they were all related to the church. And I had to figure out what to do with that. And so I spent, uh, quite a few years just thinking maybe church wasn't for me. I gave um, I gave it a shot in the Episcopal Church and I worked on being an aspirant there, which is the process of becoming a pastor. And it just, it didn't work out. I wasn't steady enough in one diocese to stay there because I was just out of college and I was trying to graduate. Um, I was no longer accepted by the church and the denomination that I grew up in. And so I found myself in a place where any church that would accept my orientation wouldn't accept my education and any church that would accept my education wouldn't accept my orientation. And so I spent a, a, a long time, eight years, nine years uh, working in social work because I thought maybe that was a place that I could let my practicalities through, right? That I could be who I was supposed to be in the world, even if we didn't label it as Christian, that I could still be helping and serving and loving the least of these. But at the end of the day, it didn't fit. I still felt like I was called to be some sort of pastor. And it was like eight or nine years that passed in social work and I just couldn't do it anymore. So then you would think it'd be a great time to work on being a pastor again. Nope. There's no options for me. I live in Western New York at this time um, in my life, and there's no affirming churches around. There's 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 no hope for me in terms of places that will accept my education because it was from a denomination that that was not honestly not as scholarly, um, but that non scholarly denomination uh, also wouldn't accept my orientation. So I was just stuck. But there was this really 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 sort of cataclysmic moment for me that brought me to who I am today, right? All of that other stuff was interesting and precursory, but this moment is what brought me to where I am today and, and ultimately how I met Glenn um, post-college. Post when the uh, very public and very disgusting lynching of George Floyd happened during the COVID pandemic, there was a lot of religious people offering their opinions. At this point, right, at that point in history, I had been disengaged from uh, the idea of being a part of church. I was trying to forget that I was called to be a pastor. 
And I was trying to just live a spiritual life and do the things I was supposed to do outside of the church. But when this moment happened, all sorts of people who called themselves pastors decided to speak up and say hideous things in the name of the church and in the name of Christianity. And there was some in particular in my town that were really, really egregious. There were people that were saying that George Floyd deserved it. There were people that were saying that Black Lives Matter was a cry of the devil because Black Lives Matter supported LGBTQ people. Uh, there were people, there there was pastors, There are there is a pastor who preaches every single sermon packing heat every single sermon, packing heat. And this same pastor was incredibly comfortable telling LGBTQ people and, and Black Lives Matter supporters that, you know what, George Floyd deserved what he got and that LGBTQ people were going to hell and Black Lives Matter was evil because they supported LGBTQ people. There's very specific, very real people in, in my town that are pastors and that were saying that. And when I, when I heard that, uh, I became enraged in a way I can't describe. These folks that are speaking up and saying these things have zero pastoral education. They have zero pastoral training. They just have the hubris of straight white cis men who have decided that they can say and do whatever because they have been imbued with the power of God. And if they were courageous enough to say that absolute hatred from the pulpit and say it was the word of God, I realized that I had just as much stake in the church and just as much claim to have a, have a religious conversation in that moment. And that lit some sort of fire in me that I can't explain because I, to this day, I'm, I'm still not a pastor. I'm working on it. I'm trying. But I realized that I had gone through the training and I had done the internships and I had worked in ministry enough to be able to speak up if these people were speaking up with zero credibility and such strong and horrible theological opinions that I should be speaking up. And so I made a video that went viral uh, overnight on Facebook. I mean, I didn't even know that that could really happen anymore. I thought it was like a, you know, just like senior citizens and, um, you know, people who like groups that are on Facebook. But this video went viral. It was like eight minutes and 46 seconds that changed my entire life because I stood up and I said, listen, you might not know this. But I was trained to be a pastor, and that's been the one job I wanted to have my entire life. I've been training like this. At that point, I've been training for 15 years to be a pastor. And what these people were saying was horrendous, and it was evil, and it was anti-Christ. And I said all that in the video, and it got like 13,000 views overnight. And if you want to know how big of a deal that is, there's 13,000 people in my town. I couldn't go anywhere in town without people stopping me um, and, and honestly saying thank you for speaking up because this particular church and this particular pastor that were spewing this hatred, they have been incredibly harmful in our community. And so I got stopped at the drive through by people telling me thank you for speaking up. Uh, I got stopped in Walmart by people telling me thank you for speaking up. I also get a lot of strange looks when I'm out in public and a lot of whispers and a lot of pointing. Um, but that's okay, because I realized that I had some sort of voice that the world needed. And that voice included my pastoral practicalities. And so at that point in 2020, when the, the world was on fire and people were dying and everything was chaotic, I decided that um, 
I was going to stand up and I was going to come out as a pastor and I was going to pursue that again. And that led me to study at a Chicago Theological Seminary. I recently graduated from there with my Master's of Arts in Religious Studies, and I concentrated on interreligious discussion and LGBTQ theology while I was there. I'm currently working. Um, I'm currently working on being a pastor through the United Church of Christ. I am what is referred to as a member in discernment, so it's essentially someone who's on their way to becoming a pastor in the UCC denomination. Uh, I picked that denomination because they're they're incredibly open and affirming. They're incredibly progressive, and social justice matters a lot. Plus, there's also a good structure and a rich connection to church history. Something that you'll hear me talk about as I go on is the fact that most evangelical churches today, the people that are speaking the loudest, have the least educated clergy, and they have the least connection to actual church history. And so I chose a denomination that had some more of that. And we'll see how that goes, right? It remains to be seen. But I decided to speak up again because the world needed my non-binary religious voice. And since that moment, my whole life has changed. Since that moment, I started to study queer theology, like I mentioned, which we're going to talk about in an upcoming episode. And I also just recently finished a pretty major research project on the history of the, the interaction of theology and scientific discovery in America. Uh, and in that paper, I talk about how the Kinsey study on human sexuality affected American theology. Alfred Kinsey was the first scientist to study and quantify homosexuality on a large scale. And the church responded to that. And it's not all hateful, like people would have you say. So those are going to be coming up in two upcoming episodes. But for me, I just wanted to let you know if you're out there and if you're listening that just because you are queer, it doesn't mean that you cannot participate in a faith community. Just because you're queer, it doesn't invalidate your voice and it doesn't invalidate your story. And when I say queer, I use that word specifically because labels that we held on to for so long to define us are no longer effective in the world. I am a person who was assigned female at birth. I have a beard, and yet nine times out of ten, internally, I feel more feminine than I do masculine. But I'm not willing to limit myself to make someone else comfortable. And I think that that extends to spirituality. That is why queer theology is a thing, because theology, if we are talking about divinity, we cannot contain it in nice, neat little binary boxes. The universe is happening all around us. Divinity is all around us and in us and through us. And I think that for me as a queer person and as a person who's called to be a pastor, there are no lines and there are no boundaries. We are all one and we are all called to serve and to love and to help. And for me, that's what queer theology is, and that's what being queer means. Being queer means outside of categorization, right? And my faith is as queer as I am because it defies categorization. I have studied alongside um, Jews. I have studied alongside Muslims. I have studied alongside Buddhists and pagans at school, and I've learned so much more than I ever did when I was siloed within the world of evangelical Christianity. 
And I've felt the spirit move in so many ways that I never thought were possible. And I'm using the word the spirit there very specifically, uh, even though it's not a word I tend to use anymore. I find myself to be a little bit of a, a translator, a person who can translate Christianity um, and modernity together and have a conversation about religion in a new and a different way. But I believe that theology is queer, and I believe that the Bible is deeply queer. Jesus is queer, right? Jesus is not one or the other. Jesus is both and all at the same time, right? Divine and human and and here and there and, uh, you know, everywhere. The Bible is queer. It's a, a book written by, it's a book of books written by men from all different genres, right? All different places in history. And we're talking, this book is talking about like this idea of divinity and theology and you know, ancient practice and history, these things are all queer. It is all of the, all of these things and more. And they're all coming to bear on us when we read the Bible or when we participate in spiritual community. And that's why I say that I think queer theology is something that is deeply informative for me. And when I say that, let me be clear. My queerness is informed by the my theology and my theology is informed by my queerness and I think that that is a rich and a beautiful thing and that's what I bring to the religious conversation and to the world of spirituality and pastoring and if you're queer and you felt pushed out or on the outs or like you couldn't find a place you fit in there is a place for you Glenn is creating that space with the What If Project. I'm working on creating that space through my project, Conversations, which is currently a podcast and hopefully will be an in-person spiritual community shortly. But you belong, right? It's just that for a long time, a lot of people were very invested in keeping us separate and keeping us hating each other and keeping us isolated and keeping us divided with the binary. But the world is not binary, Theology is not binary. Spirituality is not binary. And you don't have to fit in small boxes that were made by someone else. You get to be who you are and experience the world with all of your wholeness. I don't quote the Bible as much as I used to, but there's one verse that I would like to share with you guys as I wrap up today. And it's a verse in Proverbs. And the verse says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. When I was younger, growing up in the evangelical church, I heard so many sermons about dating and purity. I grew up smack dab in the middle of purity culture. I had a purity ring. I had a purity pledge card, the whole deal. Turns out I was really able to remain pure because I was not interested in men. <laughs> wow. But I grew up in the middle of that. And so I heard so many sermons where people talked about above all else, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. You got to keep your heart pure. You got to watch out for when you're dating. You got to this, that, or the other. But I think there's an entirely different way to look at that verse. And it's completely queer because it's out of category. It defies this sort of categorization that we've put it in. What if that verse was telling us that God made us, we are inspired by the divine and made of the stuff of divinity, right? We are created to be this unique and whole person. And from the moment that we're born, the world tries to contain us 
and tries to categorize us and tries to box us in. But what if we were to guard our heart, to guard who we were made to be above all else? How deeply could we live if we live from a place of understanding that who we are is valuable and holy and needed? What if instead of talking about purity culture, we talked about guarding the person that the divine created us to be, and we learned how deeply and how richly we could live from that place? Chew on that for a little bit. I'll be back with you guys for a couple more episodes talking about sort of what queer theology is a little bit more in depth and talking about the history of the church in America and the way that science and theology interact and what do we do with that. But for now, think about this. Guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. What is your heart? Who are you made to be and how can you most deeply and authentically be that defying any and all categorization? Thanks so much, friends. Bye.